How's everybody doing this morning? You made it through registration? Yes, <laughs> that's the task number one at South by Southwest. Well, great to see you here. Thanks for joining us. We're excited to talk to you about ancestral archives. I'm going to introduce you to our panel of speakers in a moment, and then we're going to have some questions. But we're also going to have plenty of time for questions at the end. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to see the work that's um, over in the main convention center, just beside registration and meeting room two. Um, I'd love to get your reactions and also any questions. There's a microphone there, so get ready for that to ask any questions. We'll, we'll take that towards the end. So let me introduce myself. I'm Edwina Fitzmaurice. I'm uh, the head of product and customer success at EY globally. And I'm delighted to be introducing you to my colleagues here. Um, First will be uh, Josie Williams, who's an EY artist in residence, and she'll tell you about herself and about the program. Um, Danielle McFadder, who's a creative technologist, um, also with EY, and has been really collaborating. This is a collaboration really between Josie and Danielle and the team um, for about a year now, so we're really excited to, to showcase that. And Dunal Heronon is our EY Metaverse Labs leader. Um, at EY, and um, without any further ado, I think what I'd like to do is let them tell you about themselves and a little bit of their background. So Josie, over to you. Yes, so I am Josie. I am a creative technologist, and I uh, my practice primarily consists of exploring and experimenting with emerging technology and finding new ways of cyborgian art forms as a medium for expression. So what I mean by cyborgian art forms is really intentionally looking at what uh, this kind of co-creation and recreation that relationship that we have with technology. So how does me interacting with this tech, this experience, what I create, change me on a more human level and then how does that then impact me to change it again? So that kind of cycle of creation and recreation is something that is fundamental in my practice. So that's a little bit about me and my work. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what, what is an Ancestral Archives for those who haven't had a chance to, to so, look at it yet. So yeah, like on a high level, Ancestral Archives is a collection of chatbots, which I have been calling virtual poets. Um, and they're modeled and inspired by um, historical black thought leaders, so specifically Octavia Butler, or Neil Hurston, Audre Lorde, and um, James Baldwin. And I wanted to really center a femme and queer perspective and narrative, which is a bit different than the other data sets that I was seeing when I first started this project, which was kind of the genesis of why I wanted to kind of work with this type of data and really just question what data is being used for these AI models um, and what perspectives are being centered and highlighted. I'm going to ask you a lot more questions about that. Please but thank do. Thank you for that. Um, Danielle, can you introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about you and your background? Sure, yeah. Hi, folks. Uh, my name is Danielle McFadder. As Edwina mentioned, I am a creative technologist that works in the EY Metaverse Lab. Um, I've been in sort of the XR creative technology space for maybe the past five years, even though I know I look very young, perhaps. Um, and my background is specifically in music technology and game design. So I sort of had come to that field or an interest in that field sort of as 
recognizing or learning very early in my college career that technology could be sort of a back way into the creative realm. So I've always been fascinated, grew up loving art, music, and those sorts of things. So it was really nice to be able to have just an entirely new tool set of capabilities and possibilities using technology to unlock that. And since I've sort of started my work in that field, I've just loved it the entire time. I like to say I have a romance with technology because it's enabled me to do so many different things. And it's been a great process to work with Josie and other artists as well to convene these two fields that feel very different, but at the center have a lot of things that um, are core to their values and are shared. I have lots of questions for you too, as you know. Dunal, tell us about, um, tell us a bit about you. You have a great background and you're the head of the Metaverse Labs. Tell us a little bit about that, thanks. Hey folks. Um, yeah, I come from a kind of hardcore engineering background. Aeronautical engineering was deeply passionate about airplane design and aerodynamics and fluid dynamics and all those good things. And uh, fast forward to where we are today, you know, I'm working with these great people to my left and doing really interesting work around the intersection of art and technology, but through the lens of business value creation, that's extremely important. And, you know, throughout the panel, we hope to be able to share more of those ideas and ways of working with you in, in the value of bringing artists deep into technology, artists deep into business, and how you can create real business value at the intersection of these very different ways of thinking. So I'll tell you maybe a little bit more later in detail, but I've gone through this personal journey of education and understanding that with all of my training in the sciences and engineering that I had, that I was missing I had this very big gap in knowledge with respect to more the human side of the role that technology can play, the intersection of culture, society, technology, and our humanity. And that's been a big inspiration for me, and it's something that I learned so much working with the artistic and creative communities to bring that way of thinking and way of creating deep into how we build out our technology and solutions. So, Josie, I'm going to come back to you because I want to talk a little bit about the inspiration. You touched on it there. Can you tell us a little bit more? I mean, this is unusual work. It's AI, chatbots. It's got black leaders, you know, really teaching that the thinking behind those black leaders' thought. It's not what people would be expecting, right? Can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration and the motivation for putting this together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I first started this project, I had a simple question of what would happen if AI, could, the only way that it could understand itself, understand the world and things around it, was through this data set of black thought. And when I first, I come from a computer science background, and when I graduated my from my program, I realized that I was really interested in deep learning, specifically creating these AI models that would be able to communicate. And when I looked at the data sets that were being, um, that were traditionally being used to produce this type of work, it was coming from an extremely Western and European perspective. And I just had the, uh, an idea of like, hey, what if I just had a data set that was primarily the written work of these black thought leaders, and this was the only way that an AI can reference anything as well as communicate with, the, the only way they can communicate is through these words. Um, and then that kind of expanded on later on while we were in the ideation process with the EY team into how do we create a more human interaction 
in a more intimate inter intimate experience between these machines and a person who's experiencing it. Um, so that's what I've endeavored to do in terms of the conceptualization of ancestral archives is really redefine how we use this type of technology where it's not so consumeristic and hierarchical, not very extractive. It's not gonna give you information or tell you about the weather. It's going to rather have you stop and kind of think about what you're asking and why it responded in that way, which is why I call them poets, to kind of even in the conception of interaction, have people realize that this is not going to be a normal chatbot. This is something that is more abstract, more fluid, and um, more artistic. And it, it endeavors for you to kind of realize a little bit more about yourself as a person and, and puts you directly into the now, the present moment between you and this machine. So that is a little bit about how it started and why. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really interesting. I'd, a lot of us will have experienced chatbots as, you know, almost dial one for this, dial two for that. It's a very kind of transaction-led experience, typically, um, and not particularly engaging. I mean, I don't know how many of you have had a chance to see the experience or been through it yet. My own reaction was, um, it really, the conversations with you know, Audrey Lord and others, you, you, the, the teachings there, it makes you stop and think. And it's, it's kind of, it creates an experience. It creates an emotional reaction, actually. You mentioned the word intimate. I found it quite intimate to be sitting with the masks as they were talking um, and having that intimate conversation. Um, I, guess, I guess that makes me think, you know, is, is this about creating a different relationship with technology as much as learning from different backgrounds, but also having a different, just a different experience, a different relationship? Can you say a bit about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. my own reaction anyway. No, 100%. That is the intention of just trying to repurpose this idea of a tool. Instead of it being a tool and utilized as such, it's more of something that is allows you, almost like a conduit allows you to have a deeper understanding of yourself and you know, kind of puts you like very curious, like very inquisitively, exploratively, how uh, into this, this moment of time where you are able to have a more intimate, more personal engagement with a machine that isn't just for a means to an end. Um, so that was definitely the intent, is to try and re-identify re and redefine, rather, what um, people, how people engage with chatbots particularly, but in, in the grander scheme of things with technology. Yeah. And do you think that, um, you know, is there, a, is there a moment there where the AI, because this is artificial intelligence, right? So you expect... You think, you know, I think a lot of us have seen ChatGPT, which is this lang large language model, which is describing things in great detail. You, you talk about these as differently. It's like a poet. So there's a different experience. Could you share any examples around the kind of interactions that are going on and the kind of responses that people are getting? Yeah, one of my favorite responses actually came from the chatbot that was inspired by Audre Lorde. Um, and I asked it, what is America? And it responded with a black woman's art. And I had to stop and think about that response and what that meant and how it meant 
what it meant to me as a black woman in America and also what it means contextually in society and why exactly would this chatbot in, in its and its training kind of come up with that particular answer. So it's very thoughtful. It makes you kind of stop and really intentionally think about and be aware about the question that you asked and whether or not that answer that you received maybe embellishes it or dives into it in a deeper level and shows you a perspective that you weren't necessarily even looking for. Yeah, and Duno, you talk a bit about this as well, this idea of having a different conversation with technology. We were at South by Southwest last year, actually, um, with Reaps One, and we had been doing some work there, who's a musician, um, you know, and they've been, he, he was working with a digital twin of his voice, and they have been creating new music together. So this idea of a new relationship with technology, I know that's something that you're really passionate about as well. Maybe you could say something on that. Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I come from a deep technology background and often in technology, we're kind of trained to think that the technology can better humanity, be better than humanity sometimes maybe replaces. And this is a big concern in society in general. And that's one philosophy, but then there's another philosophy which is to say technology can actually augment us, can help us on our journey, can help us think and be more creative. I much rather come from the second philosophy I really think deeply about how we put the humans at the center of how we build out our technology. And I mean that in the broadest way, and I'm sure we'll get to that as we um, keep on chatting here. Um, so this idea of, instead of it being human versus machine, much more aligned with the idea of human times machine. And how can we take the best of humanity, pair it with the best of technology, and the combination of both of them allows you to do things in much more interesting, nuanced, different ways. And just to explain like the, the whole chatbot thing, because we've been bringing a lot of people through the experience over the last couple of days. Um, people have in their mind what a chatbot is. You text a question or you ask a question with your voice and you expect a very definitive, concrete answer. And you're really asking the machine to think for you. And that's fine, that works really well. It can add convenience into our lives. But in Josie's work, and the reason Josie calls them virtual poets instead of chatbots, is that you ask the question of the virtual poet and it gives you a response and now you have to think. It's not thinking for you. It's like philosophically very different and it's really meant to bring to life this idea that depending on the lens and depending on your philosophy, you can engage with technology in a very different way. It doesn't have to be about replacing us or replicating us, that it can be about helping us be better, augmenting us, helping us do more things that we might have been able to do otherwise. If I can actually just add something to that. One interesting thing I think we've been talking about with Josie as well as in collaboration with some of our other artists is this bizarre sort of cycle where interactions with technology because the way that's sort of homogenized us and has forced us into specific identities or classifications has kind of reduced what our human experience has been relative to technology. So it's been really nice to watch people have conversations with the virtual poet in which they feel not that their humanness or their creativity is limited, but rather it's expanded through conversations with the AI. Yeah, Danielle, you've been in the with the installation since the beginning and you set it all up technically and everything. So I know it's been a journey for a year for both of you. 
Um, so tell us a little bit more, Danielle, about like it's not only the the poets, it's not only the the AI, but it's also an experience that we've created in in the metaverse experience. It's highly visual, it's highly engaging. Could you tell us a little bit about that journey um, and how we got there and, and what, why you think that's important? Yeah, um, it sort of builds off of what I was recently talking about. So with the way that we've been conceptualizing the experience and how we want to bring the experience to an audience like South By, we've really been thinking about, well, how can we situate the technology around us being humans rather than the other way around? So we've been thinking about how can elements of the human condition or our humanness be facilitated through the experience in ways that expand ourselves. So thinking about how we can bring in the body as a mechanism to interact with these environments and the artificial intelligence, thinking about how to build off of qualities that are sort of central to the human identity. How can we bring things like collectivism and community into how we experience the piece? How can we use it to expand curiosity and creativity by having conversations with artificial intelligence that probes you to think a little bit more rather than straightforward answering these questions. So it's been really a little magical, honestly, to see how we can bring in those human elements and sort of create this full experience where we can have this narrative um, encounter with these uh, uh, virtual poets in a way that really feels like we're there and we're interacting with them in a new way and learning from them in a new way. Yeah, you, you also, I mean, I think a lot of people when they think about the metaverse and these technologies, they see themselves inside a headset, you know, and they're kind of on their own, effectively on their own, lost in the inside of a, you know, inside of a headset, which can be an incredibly powerful experience on your own. But I think a lot of this as well as sort of a creating this idea of a community having an experience together. Um, maybe you could describe the the installation and how it works and how, how that kind of community interaction happens too. Sure, yeah. So I think, you know, with what Josie was saying earlier, our intention is to bring these virtual poets, their learnings, their teachings and experiences to audience of the present day and then give these audiences the opportunity to connect with each other in new ways, either via this learning or the way that they're interacting with these virtual environments via the poets. So um, with Edwina, what you're saying, you know, we totally understand that the experience in a VR headset, for example, while it can be incredibly immersive for people and is a great tool in itself, really cuts off people from other people. And that is not the intention of what we wanted to do here. Our intention through and through is to create new communities, connect communities through this piece, which is why we decided to opt out of the headset for our immersive experience. And instead, we sort of have this curved interface that then you can control through your body and through this sort of gateway that allows you to still have that immersive experience while still being connected to the communities around you, as well as we have a larger experience, which we like to call our fully collective experience, that brings the audience into the world of the virtual poets. So as you walk around the space, your motion and your connectedness to other people is sort of tracked and then situated in the environment or reflected in the environment of the virtual poets in which our presence is there, our agency is there, as well as those 
uh, virtual poets see us or connect with us. So their energy grows, their presence grows as we grow. So it's a really beautiful metaphor, in my opinion, to have that reflection through the poets and through the virtual environment as well. Yeah, there's something very, um, as I said, quite emotional for me. As I realized as we were going through the, you know, the work and collectively together, um, the 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 poets, the masks, the they're they're reacting to us. So as we're moving around the room, as we're as we as we stand together, as we're talking together, there's a reaction going on, and they show up in a different way. Um, and I guess, you know, there's a campfire and they show up around the campfire to engage with us. And it feels almost, I don't know what word to use, spiritual or something. It's very um, kind of, it creates a, definitely an emotional reaction as you realize, you're, you know, they're visiting and they want to talk. Um, and I think as well, over the last few days since this has been really working, what we have found is that the AI itself is learning and changing there's a lot of questions been posed and over the course of the few days the answers are are changing over time I don't know who wants to talk to that point but I think that's pretty fascinating as well I don't know Dunal if you want to kick us off on that one yeah maybe I'll add a little bit as well just before I answer that around back to the philosophy part of it you know we talked about humans times machines and as Danielle and Edwina mentioned you know a lot of metaverse experiences you're isolated in the VR headset and in this instance, when we talk about humans at the center, we mean how we bring humans at the center into the fully virtual, but also between the physical and the virtual. And the installation, if you get to experience it, I hope you do, as we said, it's in the main convention center, very close to the registration hall. You will see that we've purposely, by all design elements, made sure that you as the human are completely at the center of the experience. And we're not trying to make it feel like it's all about the technology and you inform the experience and you inform the space and how everything is interacted with. So one of those elements as well around the artificial intelligence side of it that we've definitely seen an interesting evolution of the responses in the first couple of days. The first couple of days, um, it was a little bit more abstract. You would ask a pointed question and it was a, a more of an abstract response and you really had to kind of step back and think about what it meant for you. And over the last day, in particular yesterday evening and this morning, it's interesting that we've seen some kind of an interesting evolution in the coherence of the answers and maybe them being slightly less poetic, but still poetic enough that you have to think about it. And that's what we love about this work is the interaction of all of the people that have come through the space in the last few days both on the AI side and on the metaverse side is, is informing the space itself and informing the experience. And that's something that's core to our work. We're not trying to force a vision on you with the technology. We're trying to just say the technology is a space that you have the right to inform how you engage with it. I was gonna say, it's also been interesting to see, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on the humans creating the community within themselves and the experience, but with the way that the AI, I, the AI has been interacting for the past couple of days, it kind of feels like the AI is joining the community with us and that it's evolving its responses as more people encounter, more information comes in. It seems sort like sort of an iterative cycle with the technology, which is also super interesting to encounter. Yeah, and Josie, you've been here as well, obviously, 
you know, seeing everybody experiencing the work? Have there been any? What I, what I, you know, there's a lot of people are staying around for a long time. I mean, that's one thing. People really want to be with this. They sit, they, they engage, they listen. Are there any? Was that what you were expecting, or did you know? Did you have? That's any what I was hoping for. Okay. Um, I wanted it to be a playful space, a space that people could feel like the ability to be vulnerable, to be intentional, to be thoughtful. Um, and I felt like I really wanted there, we've been talking about this kind of um, interface where people, it's almost like a, it's a virtual reflection of the physical space. And I wanted that, that component there specifically to really emphasize the body, the human body, um, in the space, but then in in community with everyone else in this space and how that relates to these virtual avatars. And I find that when people do kind of interact with that particular uh, por portion of the experience, um, there is like a lot of laughing, giggling, playfulness, and just sometimes people just sit down with these avatars that are on the screen and just sit and watch the fire. And I love that idea of you know, not only are we physically here together, but then we're also physically and virtually together in their space, and they're also coming to join us. Um, and it's again, like this, this beautiful relationship that we can have with, um, like when we intentionally try to craft something around community and the idea of um, being intimate and personal. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the word avatars there, right? Which I think will, in a lot of people's minds, they'll go to little cartoon-like figures and headless, you know, legless figures and things like that. But we've done something quite different here, which is around masks. Um, I don't know, Danielle and Josie, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. And, you know, that's also been instantiated in the space as well. So maybe t tell us a little bit about the... Um, about. I'll just, I guess, start it off. And the... The reason I decided to use masks instead of, let's say, just another representation of these uh, virtual poets was because I was really hearkening to um, the cultural practice in West Africa where people will use masks as a symbol and reference of their ancestors. And I thought of these individuals that I used in this experience as my collective kind of ancestors, ancestors that we all have access to. And I wanted to make sure that that idea of reverence, of you know, a space to commune with the, those who have already passed on but have so much left to teach us was still embedded in this experience. And I remember we were having a conversation with the EY team in the early phases and it was like, why? why like limit yourself to like having a body if you're in the metaverse like why like why not show up as a mask or why not engage with a mask um what's the limitations here and just like really exploring that idea of how we can show up here in this space yeah and in addition to the way that the poets are represented in the space as masks we are also represented in the space as sort of less customary avatars. So like Edwina, you were saying, we're not representing the body or you know, uh, cartoonish versions of it, but we instead, as we go through the experience, the collective experience, 
are sort of represented as these orbs of light, these orbs of energy that represent our presence in the space. And there's um, enhanced interaction for if we engage with each other further, if we share space for longer periods of time, the orbs of energy that represent us grow brighter, grow more energetic to, to in sense, represent that we're connected. So it's a great idea to have different kinds of representations of people in the space, but then just beyond representing their identity, also representing their relationship with other people through these different versions of avatars. Yeah. So, Juno, I'm going to ask you, I mean, I'm sure people are thinking, so what is EY doing here? Like, why is EY in this kind of space, right? We've been talking here about community. We've been talking about creativity. We're talking about representation. We're talking about changing the conversation between humanity and technology. Um, and that's actually a lot of what we're trying to do with Metaverse Labs. Could you tell us a little bit more about the bigger picture um, and the context that this work fits into, please? Yeah, so I think there's uh, two ways of asking the question. I mean, you know, why, why EY and why is this core to some of EY's values? But then I could also throw it back to you and say, why did you... Uh, bring us into the organization and bring us on this journey. But I think I think this is something that, and I'll try and be a little bit softer with my words when I say this, but I think people play, pay a lot of platitude to the concept of human-centric design or human-centric technology. I find it often quite a check-the-box exercise and when they're talking about human centricity, they're really just really talking about user testing. And when we talk about human-centric design or we talk about the human condition, we, we are really talking about deeply trying to, as best we can, in our own way, think deeply about what makes us uniquely human. What are the things that are, we'll say, genetically, biologically, physiologically hard-coded into our DNA over a very long period of time, hundreds of thousands of years. And what does that mean to be human in the physical world? And then what does that mean to be human with the emergence of these new technologies? And how does the technology interact with that part of our human condition? What does that mean? Can it be a good thing or can it be maybe not so much of a good thing? So. We, we go to great lengths. Uh, this project is over a year in the works, and the way and we can get into the process of the collaboration with artists a little bit later, but it's all about knowledge sharing, it's all about learning from each other, it's about understanding and building common ground. And you know, we believe that only after you give that kind of way of working together with someone enough time and enough energy and enough investment, humans speaking to each other and learning from each other, then you have the opportunity to start thinking differently and bringing in uh, these new elements. So when, when we talk about, like, it's hard for me, I can't overstate the importance to us around, we'll just say philosophically, the importance of humans deeply at the center of everything we do. And a lot of people ask me, you know, why do I work for EY? But I work for EY because at the core of EY's culture and values is around humans at the center and building a better working world. And all of this metaverse work, it's, you know, it's garnering a lot of attention and a lot of hype at the moment, and it's early stage in its uh, maturity. We feel very strongly about the fact that we're at the early point in the evolution of the metaverse, that now is the time to instill those truly human-centric principles 
and to make sure that the technology is built for everyone as much as we possibly can. And that's kind of the core of our philosophy. And that's why you might think a company like EY, why would we work for EY and why would EY have us in the, in the organization? And the reason is because it's like culturally from a purpose, values, vision point of view, it's absolutely core to everything we do. Yeah, I mean, you did throw the question back at me. Why, why are you all here? I brought on this team. Um, and we are a big team. I mean, it's a lot of people. Um, so for people might not realize there's like 70,000 technologists at EY. So we're, you know, very big in terms of technology. We work with the companies everywhere in the world. Um, and I guess for me, you know, um, I build all the products at EY, kind of those... Um, you know, the world is changing and technology is changing. The front end of the internet is changing with the metaverse. The back end is changing with the blockchain and Web3. And the internet itself is getting smarter with AI. Our lives are changing and our relationship with technology is changing. So it means a great deal to me and to my other colleagues at EY um, that we build the kind of world that we want to live in. I don't want to live in this dystopian world that's being put out there. We have an opportunity, all of us, including all of you, and we go to, you know, I was at Mobile World Congress last week, I was at CES, we're here at South by Southwest. It's a sort of a call to action for everybody who's in creativity, in technology, um, the people who are creating the, the world that's coming ahead to, to really think about this in a very thoughtful way, about what it means to be human. Um, to hold on to our humanity and we believe very strongly that there's a, a power and an essence that comes from the artistic community who really understand the essence of our humanity so we're very very keen to work um, with with the community it's been fabulous working with Josie you know and both of you are creative technologists and, and that that kind of fusion of art and technology um, the arts and technology, we think, is really critical um, going forward. So, Dino, maybe just say a little bit more. I know we have a, a wider program going on. We could maybe share some of that. Yeah, so, you know, great to be here with Josie on stage and bringing uh, Ancestral Archives to life. Um, this is a much longer-term, bigger investment that we have. We have 16 artists and residents at the moment um, all over the world, largely based in uh, Europe and the US at the moment because of where we're uh, based ourselves and because of the way we deeply collaborate with the artists. You know, it's very, it's very important to be in some kind of geographic proximity. So we have 16 artists that are all focusing on the area of the metaverse extended reality in general and all deeply focused on humans in the center of questioning what that means, AI, metaverse, XOR, all those kind of interesting blockchain technologies um, and we're working with them across a range of different topics all the way from inclusivity, identity, accessibility and they're bringing these different types of insights to us on a daily basis where from the technology side we kind of step back and go wow I mean that is just that changes my entire perspective on how I would think about enabling someone to represent themselves in a virtual environment in totally different ways. So for example, coming back to this project, maybe for whatever context you might want to represent yourself in a virtual or metaverse environment as one of Josie's masks. Or maybe you want to show up as a triangle 
It's not for me to judge. It's not for me to uh, constrain or hinder how you might want to represent or how you identify. So we believe truly in how we build these solutions that kind of offer um, full spectrum identity and inclusion and representation. Um, and all of the artists we're working with in various different ways have different lived experiences, come from very different backgrounds, develop the technology and use the technology in very different ways. And you start working with them over a period of time and asking these big questions. I mean, what is, it, what is, it, what is a chatbot really? And what should a chatbot do or what could a chatbot do that's different? Or what is the metaverse really? And, and so, for example, we ask a lot of questions around, you know, we see a lot of work in the metaverse where someone takes something that happens in the physical world and they kind of basically right-click copy physical thing and then right-click paste in the virtual thing without any thought behind what is unique about this. This is a physical environment with you as humans who are physical biological entities and there's something very unique about how people, the physicality of people in proximity with each other in the physical world, as I said, is baked into who we are in the human condition. And if you don't understand what is kind of magical and special about this and you try and replicate that in an ill-informed way in the metaverse, you're creating environments that are not going to connect people. You're actually creating environments that will disconnect people because your brain doesn't want to, it knows that this fake connection in the virtual does not at all come close to the real connection between real people in the physical world. I'm not saying that we have the solutions to solve that problem today, by the way, that's the path we're on, but that's the kind of an indication of the thinking is to understand deeply when we talk about the human condition, they're the kind of questions we ask and they're the deep thoughts and experiments and um, ways that we collaborate with artists like Josie to, to think about that more deeply, experiment, and then figure out how we build in solutions to solve some of these problems into the work at large. Yeah, and I think, you know, this idea of, um, you know, including, building a world that's inclusive, if we're building a new technology-enabled world, building them to be inclusive is super important, and having our artists um, working with us is a key part of that. We also have a very big um, program going on with the we've neurodiverse community working with us. We've got blind people working with us. We've got disabled people working with us on our teams. I have about 40 neurodiverse professionals working for me now on, on our teams globally. Um, so we kind of really feel that full spectrum diversity in creating these worlds is very important. Diversity of thought, which I think, Josie, you know, you've really challenged us to think about that. And it's been so such an amazing learning experience um, working with you on that. Um, but we do think full, full spectrum diversity, if we're going to create the world we want, is, is necessary. Danielle, we have, you know, talk to us a little bit about how you think about that, this idea of, you know, full spectrum diversity, uh, worlds that are inclusive for all. You're, you're creating a lot of these metaverse worlds. You're the designer who puts the spaces together. Um, tell us a little bit how you're thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's no secret to anyone that the tech community is representative of a very specific group of people. Um, so it was really nice to work with Josie, who identifies very differently. She's black queer femme, and to have some of that thinking and that representation in those life experiences represented there. I mean, you know, I'm also a black woman, um, so it is nice to 
sit behind the computer and work on technology or think about technology in a way that brings me into the equation, that thinks about my life experiences, connects and reflects with that. And then I'm able to bring that to other people that look like me. So it's really important when we think about how our relationship with technology as marginalized groups changes over time to sort of flip the script on the way that representation is featured here and to change our relationship with technology from being people that are identified, represented, or classified to technology or by technology to being people that can decide how they want to represent and how they want to bring their experiences into those worlds using technology as a means to facilitate that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna open up for questions. So if anybody has any questions, please get ready to go up to the mic. But Josie, maybe just as we're kind of closing out this part of the discussion, is there a bigger message? Like we're trying to you can hear us talking about trying to change how how business thinks, how technology, how technologists thinks, how creative people think, um, to create this more inclusive um, world empowered by technology. How, how are you, is there any message or any takeaway you'd like to, to kind of leave us with? Yeah, I feel like for me, there's two things that are um, fundamental takeaways, which are um, kind of, I wanted to challenge what type of data was being used and thought to be valuable in this type of space with this type of technology and the development of it. Um, what perspectives and narratives are we actually training these things on and how can we in any way just try to make this um, a more inclusive environment um, where people, as Danielle was saying, get to share from their own personal experiences and feel reflected in that technology from the conception of it. And then the second thing is really just the idea of how we engage with this technology. So with the chatbots, we've been... I feel like I've been saying this quite a bit, but there is a more of an extractive, more of a transactional um, experience that we have when we typically engage with these things. And because of that, um, I wanted to really look, I looked forward to having more of a intimate, more of a generative conversation and relationship with the chatbot where it wasn't about me getting any type of information or extracting something from it. It was more of me trying to understand on a fundamental level what it was saying um, and like why it was saying it and how that in itself reflected and showed me more things about myself and allowed me to feel more human in my interaction with it. So those are the two things that really I took away from my experience in the development and the conception of, of this project. Great, so we'll jump to the questions. If you don't mind, if you're okay to give us your name and maybe who you're affiliated with, that'd be great. Good morning, uh, Dave Jenkins, uh, VP Technology for Iterate Data AI. Technical questions, of course, obviously. Uh, Josie, thank you. Uh, on when you trained the language model, did you start with a large language model and then develop your own private set, or did you just try to keep it clean and stay with the private set to start with? That's question number one. And then question number two for Danielle. You say in the space the AI was learning and interacting with, were you, how, how, are, you, how are you gauging the sentiment of the visitors? 
I mean, like, is it cameras? Is it facial expressions? What is it? Thank you. So, yeah, um, I, when I first started creating the data sets, they were, I only added um, written works that already really resonated with me. Um, and I just was making it, making it very personal. Like, that's the entire, like, when I first started it, it was very intensely personal. Um, so, for example, I added uh, James Baldwin's Stranger in a Village um, into the James Baldwin data set. And I, like, in that story he's talking about, he's expressing this kind of isolation feeling of being uniquely himself in a, in a primarily, in an all-white city uh, or village that he was getting treatment at. And I just felt like that sort of isolation um, and feeling of being a stranger in a village was something that really resonated to, with me when I was growing up and first interacted with that written piece, but also something that I thought an AI chatbot, someone who is like something, an entity that is engaging in this world that is not meant for it would also feel um, if or also have it um, resonate with it. So I, I thought it would be important to add things like that. And so, and then after a while, uh, just trying to get the data set kind of larger and larger to increase the complexities of the responses, I was adding more completed works. But so it was more of a um, iterative process in terms of data creation. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, and then in terms of the tracking setup, I mean, our tracking is actually quite minimal in the environment. All the technologists look around as soon as they come in and they're like, where's the camera? Um, so there is a camera that is embedded in the space that is tracking people sort of centered around the body. So it's, it's a computer vision algorithm that's recognizing people as they walk through the space. It's just tracking them positionally and then we're extracting or, refer or inferring sort of um, additional information on top of that. So uh, it's tracking people as they go through the space, but we're also, because the community is such a, an important element to it, we're also tracking people's relationship or positional relationships with each other. So as people spend time being in proximity to each other at a certain sort of threshold, then additional interactivity um, sort of envelops as that is being tracked. Thanks. Uh, I'm Henry Kaiser from Democratize XR. I spent the last few years getting new diverse creators to get their first works out at scale. And my question to you is, you know, let's say there's a thousand creators either here or who are gonna find out about uh, Ancestry and our ancestral archives and they are inspired. They see your work as pioneering, they wanna follow you, but they don't have the chance to talk to you. They don't get the opportunity and they are at risk of just copy-pasting and failing in some step. They're trying to be intentional. They don't have the chance to ask you their question of, you know, so to each of you who's been involved in the process, what was a practical step that if you had the chance to save them from themselves, save them from a copy-pasta mistake, what would you want someone to know from your practice, your contributions, your contributions, working with them, uh, what's that step that they should pause and try to get right because you've done it, you've, you've stepped on the pothole, you've pivoted, you've figured out the right solution. I'm gonna start with Dunal this time. Do you wanna start and we'll go this way? Yeah, I mean, honestly, there's so many of them, but for example, just, 
just take a step back and I would always ask, just think about, I talked about this earlier, what is special about this, right? So I, I'm gonna do a little thought experiment, a little experiment, a little demo, right? So if I get up here, right, and I'm kind of standing, and I could come down closer, I could sit down on the edge. That's a very uniquely human thing. Like we're, we're engaging as humans in this space in some kind of an interesting exchange of information. And there's these special things about us in this world that are completely lost in these virtual or metaverse environments. It can be either the metaverse or AI. And I would just ask, like, take a step back, give yourself even five minutes and start contemplating, like, what makes me human? What makes me have an emotional response? What is very special about everything that we are being part of here today? And then think about how I might want to or might not want to try and replicate that with some technology, metaverse or otherwise. And that's a, that's a big kind of, I would always ask, and maybe even, we probably did this in our collaboration, right? Even like asking really hard questions of each other and the technology and saying, does this really make sense? Is this really the best thing for people? Are we solving a people need? Or are we just doing cool tech stuff? Yeah, I was actually gonna say something similar is um, at the very start of the inception process or conceptual process of thinking about work, I think it's really important to like sit down and really think about what your intention is. Like, why are you making this thing? Why are you selecting these individual pieces of technology to do it? And what is the purpose and how does that facilitate with things conceptually? We find that, um, you know, with so many super interesting emerging technologies that are developing so quickly, it's very easy to get swept up in the cool factor of, wow, this piece of technology can do this great, great thing, which is, you know, a great thing in itself. But if it doesn't filter back to the intention and the concept, then it likely has no reason to be integrated into the piece. So really getting to the crux of your intention, your purpose, your concept, your why, as you think about the relationship to the technology and the people in the piece, I think is a, a great first step to make sure that you can keep in line with what you're trying to communicate and make sure that you know the razzle-dazzle of technology does not muddy that in a way. Absolutely, just... Um Piggybacking off of that, I um, I would agree with both Dunal and Danielle where it's it's about the intentionality of things, where what exactly do you want people to feel and why? And do you want them to feel, how is the, how is this the technology like just best serve as a gateway to that experience rather than starting from an, ide an ideology of, okay, I just want to replicate this. It's like, what elements about it did you really find fascinating and, and intentional about the creation of it? And then maybe like putting your own spin on that so that it feels less like a, it feels like authentic. It's, it's their project. It's, you know, it will come from their um, internal um, experiences so that, in itself would be um, would be a good start. I feel like just maybe to add something different, I feel the overall data curation process was something that I was in extremely intentional about. So it's just like that in itself, yeah, you can have these chatbots, but like what exactly, why exactly are they trained on this? And what does it mean? Why, why this particular writing? Why this particular, you know, group of uh, or collection of essays and like what does what do these things mean? 
Um, and I feel like that would, that also has a, a hand in changing and sculpting the overall experience. Maybe I'll just add a, a, what I'm learning, we've been at this for a few years now, um, is it's changing how we build technology, full stop, all of it, because we, we start with a conversation about the human, the human side of this. We're deeply interested in how people are going to feel about it. There's a whole conversation about um, have we got the right data sets? Have we got the right you know, experience here? Um, have we got the right teams, quite honestly? Do we have the right people building technology? Not just this type of work that we show here, but day-to-day -day work in how we all build technology to run the world. And so we're, we're changing our teams. Our teams are changing. Our approach is changing. Um, we're being much more thoughtful. Instead of being, a, you know, as Daniel says, design thinking shop, you know, sessions where we're putting up boxes. We're having conversations. We're getting deep into, deep into what it means to be, you know, are we going to be proud of this work afterwards? Is this something we want? And I think it's a, just a much better conversation with a much more diverse group. I have to keep saying that. We, we need more creative people working in technology organizations. We need much more diverse um, teams, honestly, across the full spectrum diversity. I mean, the whole thing. Um, so that's the big takeaway for me is it, it, it's, a, it's a different conversation and you get to much better outcomes. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Hi, um, my name is Shanley Carlton. I work at a small nonprofit called Cultureverse that supports artists using technology. It's really similar to what I hear from each of you and I'm really excited to see the experience. Um, one thing that we think about, so we support artists, our like client or our partners are artists, but they're looking to change yeah, how their audiences feel and thinking about like what's measured, um, and the intention of the experience. How do you measure success for this, for the piece? Um, yeah, when something's so qualitative, like how do you measure what people are feeling? How are you tracking that? Josie, maybe to you first. Um, I feel like there's not necessarily a formal way of tracking that, but like I do see or engage when I'm engaging with people in this space and there's just kind of feeling their reaction or hearing their reaction or even just seeing them kind of take a step back. Um, I believe we started logging the responses in terms of what exactly people are saying, why, why they're asking these questions and what questions they're asking and what responses they're getting. Um, but in general, I feel like I, I, I look at people engaging in the experience and when people are stopping and sitting down or like just kind of mesmerized or just really engaged with it, I find that to be, in my mind, a successful interaction with that person um, where they are feeling something and that it's very visible even if it's just in the in the. the them like wow like I need to stop and take a step back it's like okay great now it's doing exactly what it's intended to do yeah I can add um, you know fortunately our team is large enough that we're able to at least have one person present at the installation at all times and that has honestly been the thing that has brought people to connect with the piece further like 
having that conversation with the artist or the person that helped de develop it to start to piece together some of the additional layers that are maybe less present in the work to have that direct connection to that knowledge has been super rewarding to people. I mean, they've come in and they already have this sort of wow factor because they immediately see their presence being represented in the space. But when they talk to Josie or myself or anyone else on the team to get the full picture of why we're doing this, and how we're doing it, that's like the second light bulb. So again, it really is even just that human to human connection has definitely improved on the, the success of this piece and helping people understand why we're here, what we're doing it, and how the you know experience facilitates all of that. Yeah, and very quickly, people want to bring the work immediately somewhere else. They're saying, I want to bring this to my students. I want to bring this to my university. I want to bring this here. How can I bring this to Australia? One person was asking me the other day. So I think that's a kind of a, a form of measurement. There's a level of interactivity in the space, but then their willingness to want to bring it elsewhere so others can experience it. But in the spirit of, you know, I'm, I run customer success, right? So um, I'm at other conferences talking about numbers all day long, right, and metrics. Um, so I think we need to do some innovation around how we measure success, actually, around that. But there are ways of doing that with CSAT scores and MPS scores and all sorts of traditional scores. Um, so in the spirit of how we work, I would like to offer you to collaborate with us if you want and we can come up with something together, right? Because it is actually about all of you in this room. It's about how do we, we're not a closed shop here. We're very open to collaboration, to learning, to working, to make things better, and then sharing it back to the community. Just like we like to make things and, and hand them out again. So if you'd like to work on that together, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Thank you. Um, there we go short people problems. Um, hi guys, I'm Skyla Choi. I work at the Met Museum, so I'm coming from a very different perspective. Um, but kind of just jumping off the conversation we were just having about data and tracking and things like this, um, what do you say to donors and directors who are interested in entering the metaverse and, and working in this field, um, but mostly for the razzle-dazzle and just, just to kind of like be in this space? Like how do you, how do you respond to them? Well, I'm going to start on this one. So there's plenty of places to go to do that, right? If you want to just do razzle-dazzle, there's a lot of that around, right? So have at it. Um, that would be probably what I'd say. Um, I think there's a way to... I think the razzle-dazzle fizzles out, actually. People get bored of it after a while because it's nothing... Kind of the essence of it isn't meaningful the way art is. The Met Museum, obviously, right? I mean, we're actually based in New York, most of us, actually. Um, so I think there's, there's something more thoughtful about art, which is why it's interesting. Art and real creativity has a, a look to it, a ring to it, if it's music, has a tone to it. When you hear it, there's an element of truth in it. There's an authenticity about it, and it stays with you. That's kind of how you know the difference. And... You know, we're on a journey. I'm not saying we're getting, you know, we're there, but that's the journey we're on is to try and create something that it has that um, essence of truth and humanity and that will sustain as a message, you know, and we're learning. Um, and somewhere along the line, that's why we love showing 
showing it to all of you and getting your feedback. We'd love to hear from you whether there is a ring of truth. That's what we're finding in the in the conversations that are going on in the room with the experiences people are sitting there and are having having quite a reaction to it, which is which is great. Um, so that's my thoughts. Duno, do you want to comment or Danielle? Yeah. Razzle dazzle like has its place, okay? And but you can have razzle dazzle as a, as a one and done. Or you can have razzle-dazzle as the starting point that you launch other things from and you have a roadmap and you evolve and you in increase your capability, right? And you have a longer-term vision uh, that you work towards. So, you know, it really depends on the context and the need. But we go to great pains to try and deeply understand the pain points. What is it people are trying to achieve the intentionality? And then we can kind of advise either way. If you want to do razzle-dazzle one and done, here's the best way to do it. But if you want this to be a foundation that you build on and have that kind of longer-term impact, then this is also maybe another, an alternative way of thinking about it. Yeah, a little bit to add on to the, the sort of razzle-dazzle factor. One thing that I think I've found is that uh, a good mix between razzle-dazzle and intention can be really impactful. Um, I would say generally the arts community or arts in general is pretty inaccessible to people that haven't been sort of educated in a specific way or haven't grown up with that element in their life. So having Razzle Dazzle, something that is a little bit interactive that brings people into the experience more and reflects that agency has been really helpful in engaging communities that have a less comfortable relationship with art. So the mix, I think, at least these days, is super important and it's just a gateway, right? Like a little bit of razzle-dazzle to start with someone having a new sort of relationship we are with the artistic community is great. And then it's up to them to explore more based on that sort of seed of interest. I love that, thank you so much. Hi, I'm Petal Sandcastle with Express Your Yes Foundation. <clears throat> My question is, as we're talking about needing more neurodivergent people, queer people, BIPOC people, just non-normative people in the industry in general and in a lot of industries, um, the barrier to entry is huge because it's traumatic. It's like everything about all of this is like so saturated in bro culture and so so what people like me have fled from and so as we're reaching out to the most marginalized among us how do we what is the invitation like what's the rally cry like how do people deal with the duality of dealing with things as they are and also being with the hope of what could be and then actually entering the gauntlet Josie, do you want to comment, or I mean, I've I've a whole answer to this. <laughs> I mean, I from my perspective, it feels like creating a space um, like it would be difficult as like someone who's a black uh, queer person, a woman in America. I do feel like that sense of alienation when I go into some of the spaces, and um, it just has been for me finding communities that can even just slightly help me um, kind of get my foot into the door. So I was a part of the Newing community, which allowed me a lot of fluidity in terms of how I express myself as a creative technologist, and they introduced me to the EY team. 
um, who have carved out a space for me to be kind of weird and not that like formal and technical about everything. Um, but I feel like probably other people would have more fleshed out answers for you about like how to actually do that. Yeah, I, I would agree with what you're saying, Josie. The duality of being a marginalized group surrounded by a singularity, we'll say, is definitely um, interesting in the sense that you either find little snippets of community of people that relate to you that have same intention and experience and understanding as you, or you're able to use the fact that you've penetrated this very small world to create your own communities, bringing your own people, have your own network of people that live in this space that then can start to diversify the experiences of what you're in. So it has been a balance of finding the community that's right, but also if that doesn't exist, which it doesn't exist in a lot of places, making that for yourself, whether that be in physical presence or online presence, to start to penetrate the normalcy of all of that. I'm going to finish, if I may, on this one, because, um, you know, I'm on the World Economic Forum, Global Futures Council for the Future of the Metaverse. I speak, I speak of the economist. I go everywhere, right? It is incumbent on leaders to create an environment where people, all people, can participate so you don't have that experience. That is simply unacceptable, all right? So my call at every conference I'm at, which I do a lot of them, right, is to that, is to that leadership group to say it's time for change. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it's an incredibly rewarding and rich thing to do. And it's commercially makes every kind of sense too. Diverse teams with better experiences, with broader, capabilities do better. It is, a, it, is, it is a critical factor in the world. And not only that, we're at an important inflection time where technology is going to be a huge part of our lives and our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives. And it's time. It is time. So a lot of the discussion is now is the time. We cannot miss this opportunity. I've been very challenging with the tech crowd about there are no excuses now. It's not like we don't know what to do. It's not like we haven't made the mistakes of the past. And there are literally no excuses. Now is our time to step forward and sort it out. And this community is so important to that cult. We need the creative community with us. We need technology and, and creativity and humanity uh, to coexist in a very powerful and beautiful way, which I think is what we're trying to show here. And we think that's possible and we're ambitious for it. And so we'd encourage all of you to participate and collaborate too. So with that, I'm going to say a big thank you to all of you for being here. And thanks to our panel.